Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Amen. Amen. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is trying to convey this image. He said, we are more than conquerors through Christ. And he conveys this image that says, hey, what can separate us from the love of God? And he starts asking a question. Hey, can height separate us? Can depth separate us? And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's our champion this morning. That's the God that we serve, the God that we follow. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. My name is Micaiah. I'm the pastor here at Southridge, and we're honored and thrilled that you'd be here for this special Sunday. Looking forward to a great time, not only together, but also in God's Word this morning. And uh, near you or uh, on the seat by you, there was a card. It's called the Connection Card. We would love for you at any point in our service to take out that card and to fill it out. At the end of the service, we're going to receive an offering, and you can drop that card in the offering basket, or you can take that card to our welcome tent, where we have a special gift for you. We're so grateful and thankful that you're here. We're looking forward to what God is going to do. You can also stay connected with us via our app, and you can just scan the QR code and stay connected. But we want you to know that Southridge is a great church, and we want you to know this is a place that you can be a part of and grow. Well, we're looking forward to what God's going to do. Let's open our service in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that we can gather together and we can sing how you are our champion. God, you conquered sin, death, and the grave. And Father, we thank you that we can gather together and we can declare that. We can believe that. Remind us of that truth this morning. Father, we love you. We pray that you would do wondrous things in our service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. It's going to be a great service together. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of John, chapter number 6. You'll find that here at Southridge, everything we do, believe, practice is based on this book, the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I would love to give you a free copy of the Bible. On your way out, where you drop off your Connect card, there's a tent. They also have free Bibles. We want everyone to have one. I know you can download it and have it on an app, on your phone or your tablet. But there is something about opening up God's Word and seeing what it says for your life and for mine. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing that together with you. We're excited about what God is doing here at Southridge Church. We're blessed that you would make time out of your Sunday to be a part of our services. My wife and I, we recently sold our house, and so we have been doing something we haven't done for over 10 years, and that is we are putting in applications to go rent a house, and so we put in anywhere from a dozen to 18 applications, and one of the things I'm noticing on on all these applications is they ask you to fill out an emergency contact. So you go fill out the emergency contact. You've probably seen this. You write down either your spouse's name, your mom's name, your dad's name. But then I also took my son, Austin, to the tech museum. His school gave a release form. And on the form, it asked for the emergency contact. You've probably applied for a job. When you apply for a job, it asks, who's the emergency contact? I went swimming with my wife, and uh, we went and swam with sharks. And before we got on the boat, they asked to fill out a form and said, who's your emergency contact, you know? Everywhere has this thing of their emergency contact. Who are you going to call? And it reminded me of that 80s uh, Ghostbusters theme song, you know? Uh, Do-do-do-do-do, you know? And I could just kind of hear it in my head, right? Who are you going to call, you know? And I was like, man, that's right. In an emergency, 
Who are you going to call? And I think it's funny that we put down our spouse, our boyfriend, girlfriend, or our mom, or our dad. You say, why? If I'm choking to death, call 911, not my spouse. I'm going to die while you were calling my spouse, all right? So I think it's dumb that we all don't write 911. Don't call nobody else. Just get the ambulance there. Just get me what I need, all right? But here's the bigger question. Whose name do we put down for eternity? We're all going to spend eternity somewhere, but whose name is on that emergency contact list? Because some of us, we think our good works may get us there. Our good looks. We may think that I just might make it by the skin of my teeth. But ultimately, it comes down to the name of Jesus. And this is the question we're going to ponder this morning. That question of whose emergency contact have you put down for eternity? And if you can only put down one name down, you want to make sure it's the right name. If you have a Bible, go to John 6, because this is the question that's going to be posed to the disciples. Notice if you would, verse number 66, it'll be up on the screen. It says this, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. What a strange verse, isn't it? I mean, to open up the Bible and you see these disciples saying to Jesus, we're done. We're not going to walk with you anymore. The next verse, verse 67 says, then Jesus said to the twelve, that were still there, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew, all the others, he asked this question. Do you also want to go away? And notice what they respond with. They say, but Simon said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have you ever been unfollowed, unfriended by a coworker, family member, or a colleague? Let me see your hands. You ever tried to tag somebody on social media and you go to tag them and it won't let you tag them because they unfriended you? Kind of hurts, you know? That's why I'm never going to let my kids have social media. I don't want to find out one day they've unfriended me, unfollowed me. I'm like, oh, that's it. Give me back the phone that I paid for. You know, it's like, nope, not going to do that. So imagine Jesus has disciples who are like, Jesus, we're done following you. And here's what's hilarious. I meet a lot of people who don't go to church, who don't really have anything nice to say about organized religion, but they still like Jesus. So what did Jesus do that made his disciples not want to follow him? I mean, I get it where you don't want to follow Peter, you don't want to follow church, you don't want to follow me. I get that. But what did Jesus do where people are like, Jesus, we're not going to follow you anymore? Like, that's an amazing statement to me. It makes me really think what happened. So I want to give some context to the controversy. You see, in John chapter number six, a lot has happened. It's a great chapter to study. But in John chapter six, here's one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did was he turned five loaves and two fishes and he fed over 5,000 people. That's a cool miracle. The people loved that miracle so much that they did this. They grabbed Jesus like in this big crowd. They hoisted him up and they were like, we're going to make you our new king. And immediately Jesus fled from them because he didn't want to be their king. 
And he says, he went away. And it's the same passage of scripture that the disciples are trying to follow him in a boat. A storm comes and then Jesus just walks on the water. Like chapter six of John is an amazing chapter. And Jesus walks to them on the boat. Well, the next day, this crowd finds Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, how did you get over here? And Jesus said this to the crowd. He said, hey, the only reason you guys are following me is because the miracle that I did yesterday turning some few loaves and fishes and fed all of you. And then they said, hey, our ancestors got a sign from you that you, from God. And they, their sign was they got manna from heaven. They were implying, Jesus, we want you to do a miracle for us. We want you to provide bread. And then Jesus makes a statement. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Meaning that this temporal bread that I fed with yesterday was just a picture that I'm the eternal bread to satisfy that hunger of your heart. But they didn't like that. And so because of that, they get upset. You see, I'm going to go through three words this morning. I'm going to go through the word answer, alternatives, and accept. We're going to spend our time thinking and looking at those three words this morning. Because they didn't like the answer that Jesus gave him. And it wasn't so much that Jesus gave a bad answer, but notice the disciple said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? You see, it wasn't necessarily that they didn't like the answer. That's not their biggest problem. You know, it, it, sometimes we hear things we don't always like to hear. And we can deal with that. But, but should we unfollow somebody because they tell us something we don't necessarily want to hear? Are we really that shallow? I mean, when somebody tells us something we don't want to hear, like we should be better at saving our money. Oh, that's it. I'm never going to be your friend anymore. No, I'm not going to do that. No, but yet sometimes we can be that shallow, can't we? And so here the disciples, it wasn't because they didn't like what he had said to him. They didn't like his answers. No, as a matter of fact, they liked Jesus a lot. They liked him so much they wanted to make him king. So why would they unfollow him? It wasn't because they didn't like his answers. It also wasn't because they didn't leave him because he had the answers. Sometimes we don't like a know-it-all. Remember that? In school, uh, your mom or dad would say, hey, don't be a know-it-all. And they're like, but then you're sending me to school to kind of know it all. Like, I, I, I don't get it, right? But we live in that culture. Sometimes we don't like the person with all the answers. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm sitting next to the person who always has all the answers. I married them, you know? And it's like, we always have to deal with this, the, the, these people that have all the answers. My wife's brilliant. Uh, she got her master's in like three months. And I was like, that's pretty impressive. So she usually has the answers. But it's not like, oh, I'm going to leave her over that she has the answers. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, he has a lot of the answers. There's a lot of smart people in the world that have the answers. But that's not why they left Jesus. They left Jesus because of verse number 65. You say, what happened in verse number 65? This is powerful. And he said to them, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. What is Jesus implying there? He's not just implying that, hey, I've got all the answers. Jesus is implying, I am the answer. That's the difference. You see, it's not that Jesus has the answers. It's that Jesus is the answer. I believe, and it's what I've staked my life on. This is my career. This is my calling. This is why we planted a church. Is because we believe that Jesus is the answer to every problem. And for many of us, it may seem like that's an oversimplification because I don't have money in my bank. I don't know how Jesus solves that problem. 
I don't have uh, 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 health in my marriage. I don't have uh, health over here in my career. Jesus is still the answer. Everything that's happened in the world today, Jesus is the answer. And the more you get to know him through this book, you will come to see that Jesus is the answer. And that's why our church is here. To lead people to find and follow Jesus, not unfriend and unfollow him. But to follow him. That is the need of culture. And he goes on to say in verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus, once again, is drilling down on this thing that he is the answer. And my friend, this morning, Jesus is the answer for your life. We need Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus isn't a answer. He is the answer. And that's where they had a problem. It's interesting to me that these disciples could only hang with Jesus for 24 hours. They only could follow him as long as he had bread. As long as he met their needs, their desires, their wants, they were going to follow Jesus. How many of us are like that? I mean, they couldn't even stick with Jesus for 24 hours. I mean, they were like, Jesus is the greatest. The next day they're like, ah, he's not the greatest anymore. And how true is that of us? We're one moment, we're on the mountain peaks. Oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. I love Jesus. The next day, we're like, I'm done. Hasn't Jesus done enough by dying on a cross, saving us from our sins, giving us hope and life eternal, but yet we can turn our backs on him and cease to follow him? Jesus is calling us to a life that says, I'm going to follow him. Understand, these people were not just connections. They were committed. They were called disciples. Yeah, the crowd stopped following Jesus, but these were the disciples. A disciple means a learner, a follower of Jesus. And they turned back. And not just a few. It says many disciples. And here's what's crazy. Were they persecuted? Were they arrested? Were they having their houses taken from them? Their bank accounts frozen? Being told not to preach in Jesus' name? No. They stopped following Jesus because they didn't like that he is the answer. Wow. My friend, this morning, Jesus is the answer. It's a polarizing answer for sure. But Jesus is what the world needs. And we live in a culture that has a hard time accepting that. And they will put the social pressure on to say, do not accept that. That, that there's many different answers. No, Jesus is, doesn't just have the answers, he is the answer. But I love what he does to the disciples in verse 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? I love that Jesus asked them a question and then Peter responds with a question. You say, what do you mean? In verse number 68, but, Peter, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus asks a question, he responds with a question, and doesn't get rebuked. Oftentimes, we use this in an argument. Uh, there's been a time in my life where my wife was like, hey, I don't like what you were uh, looking at on the computer. And I said, what computer? <laughs> you see how we could turn it around? I'll go to my wife. Oh, I don't like the charges on our credit card statement. What credit card? Typically, when we're using a question to answer another question, it's defensive. It's we want to deflect. We want to deter. We want to push away. It's not because we want to admit. But here, Peter is saying, we understand, Jesus, 
You don't just have the answers. You are the answer. And this is, get this. He's saying, Jesus, there are no other alternatives. Jesus, you are our only option. You see, my friend, that's what God is trying to get the church to. That's what he's trying to get you and I to, that there are no alternatives. We love to make other alternatives. We love to make money our God. We love to make ourselves our God. We like to make our careers our God. We like to make people our God. We like to have any other God except the God. But we need to get back to the point where Peter is like, hey, there are no alternatives, Jesus. You have the words of life. And get that. Jesus wasn't offering them money. He wasn't offering them position. What was Jesus offering them? Life. And they said, that's why I'm following you. Why do I follow Jesus? Because he gives life. You see, the devil comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is saying, hey, I just want one thing for you. I want you to have life. And then he doesn't just want you to have life. He says, I want you to have life more abundant. We call this Zoe. It's this, it's this overabundant life. It's just life on life and life. You see, no matter what relationship you are in, it will not always produce life, life, life. It doesn't matter what job you have, it will not always produce life, life, life. No matter how much money you have, it will not always produce life, life, life. Everything else has highs and lows. But with Jesus, he says, no, no, no. I'm here to give you life more abundant. That's what Jesus wants to give. But yet we live in a culture that says, no, no, no. I need Jesus plus money. I need Jesus plus position. I need Jesus plus fame. I need Jesus plus sin. But understand this. Jesus is saying it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because Jesus is everything. And the disciples were getting to this. Twelve was getting it. That Jesus promised them nothing but life. And they said that's enough. To leave our careers. To leave our families. To leave our future. To leave our reputations. And to follow this guy because he has life. And that's the same call he makes. 2,000 years later. What are you willing to do to pursue life? That's what he offers. That's what culture needs. Life. But yet we live in a world that's like, no, Jesus is good. He's like a little garnish to everything else I've got. And Jesus is saying, I'm not the garnish. I'm God. I'm everything. You see, it's tough. Too often, we're like, well, I like alternatives. I like options. I get that. But understand this. You don't need alternatives when you have the answer. When you have the real answer, why do you want anything else? We have this drive to consume and to consume. But Peter is saying for a moment, he's speaking to the crowd, and he's saying this. Jesus, you are our one. There's nobody else I want. It's you. I'm willing to leave it all. G and Peter is saying, Jesus, you're my emergency contact. You're the name that I'm putting down. You're the one I'm willing to stake my future on. You're the one I'm going to follow. But in verse number 60, the other disciples said to Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You see, they believe the lie that we believe, that this is a hard truth. But understand today, we live in a culture that doesn't like hard truth. Instead, we would like the comfort of a soft lie. We need to get back to where we can say, I can handle the truth. I can deal with the truth. I don't want to live in a world where I'm living in lies. I want to deal with the truth. But too often, we like the comfort of a soft lie that says, hey, God says, come as you are and live as you are. God just loves you. Does God love you? Absolutely. Absolutely, he loves you. But God wants to change you and make you more like his son, Jesus. And he wants your life to be a reflection of him. 
And so here in this passage, we see that too often we want to turn to that soft, comfortable lie. You see, today people don't actually want the truth. They just want a constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. That's what people want today. Don't tell me that what I'm doing is not true. I want you to reassure me that this is true. This is true. And if you don't reassure them, then they're like the other disciples. I'm not going to follow you anymore. And can I tell you this as lovingly, as kindly as I can? Jesus is okay with that. Do you get it? Jesus was okay with the crowds and these disciples leaving. He didn't want them to, but it wasn't like, oh, what do we got to do to get them back? Jesus didn't immediately, when they left, say, oh, man, let's whip up some bread. Let's whip up some miracles. Let's get this crowd back. Jesus doesn't grovel like that. Jesus just says, hey, if you don't think I'm the answer, then okay, then don't follow me. Go look for life somewhere else. But these disciples, they got it. They said, no, you are the truth. I'm going to follow you. You see, truth is not for comfort, but for the liberation from lies. That's what truth is for. Many of us would rather be bound up in a lie. But truth sets us free. That's what truth does. And that's why oftentimes culture and the world and the flesh don't like the Bible. Because it goes against what we believe. What we feel is right. Because we today are based everything on the feelings. How do I feel? I want to feel good. I want this. But here we have to step back and say, no, that's not how it works. Verse 61, but Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. And he said to them, does this offend you? The truth offends. Why did it offend them? Because the truth Jesus spoke contradicted the life that they lived. Oftentimes people come to church and they'll leave church, they'll hop church, they'll go to find a different pastor, a different church. It's because they say, oh, he offended me. She offended me. Oh, that place offended me. Often it's not really that you're being offended. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing. We need to know when something is not right. The other day my tire was flat and somebody was like, hey, your tire's flat. It would have been a dumb thing for me to say, I don't care. I don't care if it's flat. I'm going to drive on it if I want to. I've seen that person on the freeway. You're like, your tires, it's literally on fire. And they're just like, ah, uh, you know, they're just having a great old time. But yet we would rather be comforted with a soft lie than deal with a hard truth. You see, truth is not for comfort, but for the liberation from lies. I'm so glad that my doctor doesn't mind offending me with the truth. Imagine I go to my doctor or you go to your doctor and they look at you and they say, hey, you, you got some moles, you got some skin things that we got we to gotta deal with. And when you go to the doctor, they got this little thing and it's really cold and it'll freeze the mold, um, mold, mole, or they'll deal with that skin patch that looks uh, like kind of questionable. Aren't you glad that they say, let's deal with the potential that this could be cancer? Instead, what if they look at you and just say, no, nah, we want you to be comfortable. We want you to be happy. I want you to leave my doctor's office inspired. And if I tell you you have cancer, you're not going to be inspired because cancering is not expiring. And you're not going to live your best life. And cancer doesn't spark joy. So guess what kind of doctor I am? I'm the feel-good doctor. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And guess what? Three months later, you pass a preventable cancer because you had a doctor who said, I don't want to offend you. No, we all want a doctor who says, guess what? You need to stop eating that. Stop doing that. You need to get on this medication. You need to go check in here. You need to get this surgery. And you're like, thank you, doctor. Why is it that we thank the doctor as he's going to cut us open, perform emergency surgery? We get that. But then if God ever convicts us, we're like, I hate you, God. God's like, you have sin in your life. I'm trying to help you. But you are treating God like he's the enemy and pushing him away. You know what that tells God? 
you would rather have the comfort of a soft lie. What, what happened? We've turned into the crowd. We say, no, no, I can't handle the real truth. I can't handle it. You see, a truth that can't be tested isn't worth trusting. And Jesus is saying, hey, put this to the test. Prove me. God over and over says, follow me and see if it really works out. These disciples, they were putting all on the line because they believed that Jesus was the answer. They were willing to live houses, careers. These weren't just naive people. These were people that said, Lord, we're going to follow you. And they gave all and they followed Jesus. And they found that Jesus, we're following you because your words and because you're worth it. That's why they were following Jesus. And they saw that he was worth trusting. Growing up, my family opened presents on Christmas Eve. Any, any families here, you open on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, presents. Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go. I quickly stopped that uh, once I had kids. I was like, no, Christmas morning. That's what we're going to do. Because I would open up Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, and then the next day, everybody else would get their presents. I felt cheated or whatnot. Uh, but that was what our family did. That was our family tradition. Christmas Eve, we would open presents. So my parents would have presents in their bedroom, locked away, way ahead of time. And I remember that year, I'm, I'm still kind of into Legos. I, I, I have no problem admitting I will play Legos with my kids. I love building them and everything. And so my parents, I knew I wanted this Lego set, but we didn't know what we were getting. My family is a big family. There's six other siblings. And so we were all excited. Like, what are we going to get for Christmas? One of my brothers wanted to be an artist, so we asked for an art desk. And I just said, you're dumb. Like, who wants an art desk for Christmas? But that's what he wanted. Another wanted a Daisy BB gun. Like, I don't even know if the stores are allowed to sell BB guns anymore. But those are back in the real days where we had real toys, you know? We could shoot your eye out. That, those are good times back then. And so uh, I just remember they were like, hey, we think all of our presents are in mom and dad's room, but we need somebody to go in there and find out. So I just remember somehow I drew the short straw and I was going to go in there and I was going to see where our presents were to see what we were getting for Christmas. And I remember trying to stealthily make it my way into my parents' bedroom. And I told my siblings to look out. This is how you know you can't trust your siblings. All right. I was in there, but just a minute. And all of a sudden I heard my name getting called down the hall. And I was like, oh man, they ratted me out. I was in trouble. And man, I got spanked. My parents believed in spanking. So I got spanked. I got in trouble and I was walking out. And you know how siblings do? They don't feel sorry for you at all. Like they're all kind of like <clears throat> loser, you know, like they have no sympathy, you know, but instead of me holding my head down in shame, yeah, there was a tear coming down in my eye because that spanking, it hurt. But then there was a gleam and a smile across my face because I saw what I was getting for Christmas. And I saw that Lego logo. And I was like, I saw it. You see, I could endure anything because I knew come that Christmas Eve, I know what I'm getting. In John 1:14 says, we, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. You see, the disciples got to see Jesus and they said, it's worth it. It's worth leaving everything. I will follow Jesus. They saw that Jesus, there's no other alternatives. We're going to follow you and only you. So we see, first of all, that, hey, he's the answer. There's no other alternatives. But we've got to accept. That's up to us. Verse 69, it says, also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ the son of the living God. How powerful a statement. 
They were in a process. And they said, it's taken us some time. And maybe you're here. You're not too sure about this. But you're going through a process where you're understanding that Jesus, he is the answer. That Jesus, there are no other alternatives. And you're getting to the point where you are realizing that you need to accept him. You see, it took the disciples a moment to get there. They said, in that moment, they said, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means chosen one, anointed one. It's the one that they had been waiting for. And they were saying, Jesus, you're it. You don't just have the answers. You are the answer. There's no other alternatives to you. We're going to follow you. And we accept you. And that was their decision to follow Jesus. But my question for us this morning is, what will you do with the answer this morning? Will you look for other alternatives? Or will you say there are no other alternatives and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, Jesus Christ, he fit prophecies and fulfilled predictions. Jesus Christ met all the prophecies, all the predictions. But yet we do not run to Christ with our feet. We run to him with our faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not, um, through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't come to Christ on our own. You only get to Christ through your faith. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in him alone, in his finished work on the cross? Are you trusting something else? Are you looking to something else? And if you are, what other alternative is there? What else is out there? Are you going to trust your career? Are you going to trust your wealth? Are you going to trust your health? It's amazing the things that we can put our faith and trust in. And we can neglect the Savior who came to earth for us. Isn't it amazing? All of the religions say, here's how you get to God. Where Christianity says, no, Jesus came to you. Jesus came to you for you to provide salvation that you couldn't get on your own. But yet, wouldn't it be a slap in the face of somebody who sacrifices? And we say, yeah, that's nice that you sacrificed. Thank you for dying on that cross, by the way. Appreciate that. Excellent. But I'm still going to trust my good works. I'm going to pay penance. I'm going to go kneel at this altar. I'm going to go do this. I mean, there's been some times where I didn't know my wife was going to make dinner. And so, you know, you stop by in and out on the way home. You're not sure if she's cooking. And you get there and you're like, oh, man, I just had a double, double quarter pounder. You know, super good. Animal style. Walk in. And you're like, oh, no. She made dinner. And I just had an animal style four by four. Do I lie and say I'm hungry? Or do I just not say anything and just eat? and throw up later but eventually she discovers she can smell that special sauce and you get found out and she's like I can't believe you ate before dinner and then of course that's a terrible thing right like there's nothing worse in the moment that you could ever do as a husband than eat before dinner and you're like I think there's worse things you know like uh, you know like skinning little baby seals to make boots out of I think that's worse than me having but apparently not at this moment So let me pay my penance. But they get offended. How much more when God's like, I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for you, and yet you still think there's another way outside of my way? 
You see, it's amazing. Uh, Culture will tell you all roads lead to heaven. The problem is not all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to hell. Only one road leads to heaven. But our culture hates that. They push back on that. But if that is the truth, don't we have a responsibility to go to every friend, every family member, every coworker, anybody we know with an urgent message and say, you need Jesus. He's the hope of salvation. There's no other way. But why is there no urgency for us? The disciples are saying, we're willing to leave everything. Jesus, they, they, they said, we've left it all. Peter's like, hey, I've left my family. I've left my wife. He had a wife because Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Many people believe that's why uh, Peter uh, denied him three times because of what he did uh, in healing his mother-in-law. But that's neither here nor there. And so, uh, but Peter's like, I've sacrificed Jesus. But look at us. We're like, oh. And I know I'm going to step on some toes for a second. Bear with me. I know some are friends. Some of us think it's a sacrifice to go to church more than once a month. Some of us think it is a sacrifice. Like we did something great for God that we opened our Bible in our house and we read a verse and prayed. Some of us think because we gave $5 to God that somehow we're a super Christian. Can I tell you, the only thing God wants from you is your heart. That is it. Don't give him your $5. Don't give him your time. He's saying, hey, I just want that heart. That's it. Everything else will follow. But yet we keep taking our heart back from God. We're not sold out from him. Some of us, we want to have one foot in culture and live however we want. And we want to have one foot in Christianity in the church. And we want to live in both worlds. You know, psychiatrists call that schizophrenia. We have schizophrenia Christians. And some of us forget where we are. Like, am I at the club? How am I supposed to act? So you're praying at the club. You're like, hey, before we drink this, we should pray, right? Wait, oh, I'm at church. We cuss, right? Wait, what? Hold on. What am I doing? I know we have a bar over there, but it's still, some of us are like confused. We're schizophrenic. And God's like, hey, if I'm not, if I'm the answer, And if there are no other alternatives, why aren't you accepting me? And that's the invitation this morning. And I know it's hard. I know. But would you want anything else, honestly? Like at the end of the day, don't you want somebody finally to tell you the truth? Or do you want to just keep living in the world of lovely lies? Because that's what I call it today. Today we live in the world of lovely lies. And somehow we think we're doing people a favor by giving them lovely lies. I mean, they are lovely, but they're also deadly. No, there's only one name that I want on my emergency contact, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. That's the one I'm trusting. When I stand before God and they say, Makai, why should we let let you in? And I'm going to tell God, no, you actually should not let me in. (laughs) I don't deserve this, but Jesus took my place. It's his blood that's on that altar. It's his blood that satisfied the wrath of God. It is his blood. That's, that's how I get here. No, God, I don't deserve to be here. 
But it is only through the sacrifice of your son that I get to be here. I have no right. I have no claim. There is nothing of myself. It is only through Jesus. And that is the one that I accepted. And I remember the time, the day, and the place on an Easter Sunday when I was 12 years old. I said yes to Jesus and I accepted him and his forgiveness. My friend, when did you make that decision? When did you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the greatest decision you can make. Throughout my summers, I would work at a camp in Flagstaff, Arizona. And uh, we would go on the weekends. There was no campers. So we were at the base of a mountain that was 7,000 feet in elevation. It was a big-sized mountain. And uh, there, was a, uh, there was a trail we would hike in. It was called Hell's Hole. And I went on all trails, and the hike is on all trails. I was like, that's cool. I could go back and do it if I wanted to. I don't want to, but it's there if I wanted to. Um, and so... I remember when I was 15 years old, we'd take a big group to Hell's Hole, and this mountain is filled with caves, and people go spelunking all over this mountain, and we wanted the big group, and this is kind of a dangerous climb. It involves multiple people. You need some ropes. It takes a lot of skill, and uh, I just remember doing it when I was 15. Well, when I came back the next summer when I was 16, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Las Vegas, his name is Josh, he was like, hey, let's go climb Hell's Hole, and I was like, well, we did it last year, but we had a, a big group. Should we get a big group? And he's like, no, just you and me. And I was like, uh, I think, I don't think that's enough people. I think we're going to need a few more people than just you and me. He's like, no, we can do it. And I was like, I don't think so, but let's try it. So sure enough, I remember where it was. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I still remember there's this rock that looked like a potato chip. So you just take a left and just go right up in the mountain. There's a cave. And you get to this movement here where it's a, it's a very crucial uh, drop and it takes multiple people. And Josh said, Makai, you go first and then you give me a boost up. But when you give a boost, you're leaving the safety of a rock and there's a steep drop off on the other end. So you need somebody to hold your arm while you get your footing and your other hand in place and pull you up. And I remember as I got up there and I was about to reach for Josh and Josh was like, Makai, if you drop me, this is all bad. And I was like, oh, I know it is. So I started to get really sweaty palms. So I grabbed some dirt. You know, you get nervous. My heart started beating. I was like, oh, great. This guy could die, man. I, I, I don't know what we're doing. This is crazy. And he's like, you can do this. And I was like, I don't think we can, but we're going to go for it. And in that moment, he was like, and if you drop me, I'm going to give you the bird the whole way down as I fall. I was like, yeah, that's fair enough. And man, he breached my arm, and man, I held him, and it plays better in my mind. I'm sure it didn't actually look as cool as it really was, but in my mind, I picture this Mission Impossible cool moment. But we made it. Fast forward. I know you were a little bit worried. What's going to happen to Micaiah? I made it. Here's my question. If you had to go through hell, who would you want with you? And if it's any name outside of the name of Jesus, you have the wrong name. You see, we're all going to face eternity one day. So who's your emergency for eternity? Jesus gives us a choice. He says, I'm the answer. There are no other alternatives. Will you accept or reject him? Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just pray in this moment, this invitation, that you would speak to hearts and lives. Father, we just pray that, Lord, you would draw us to yourself. I pray for those that may have more questions than answers, that they would see that you are the answer, 
that they would see that there are no alternatives and they just need to accept you as their Savior. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, this morning, I know Christ is my Savior. I've received him. I've done that. Would you slip up your hand just as a testimony that, yes, I've received Jesus. Is that you? Oh, look at that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may put your hands down. A lot of hands. That does my heart good. But there were some people that you weren't able to raise your hand. So this morning, maybe this is your moment to accept Christ as your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whose name. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. But today I want to do that. And if that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. Anybody like that? You want to give your life to Christ this morning? Anybody like that? Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Hey, we're going to pray a prayer this morning. I'm going to pray it out loud, and you pray along with me silently in your heart. And it's not the magic of the words, but it's the belief. And I'm going to pray as those that are praying to receive Christ will pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see these hands that were raised and say, I want to say yes to you. Father, I pray that they would repent of their sin and that they would receive you as their Savior. Lord, help them to realize you are the answer and that they would receive you. I pray that they would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you receive Christ as your Savior, we would love to talk to you. And at the end of the service, what I'd love for you to do is take this little card, and it says, becoming a follower of Jesus. And if you gave your life to Christ today, would you fill that out? And then next Sunday, we're having a baptism service. And you say, I want to go public with my faith. You can say, hey, I want to get baptized. We'll contact you. Or you come back. You say, I want to get baptized. But right now, I believe we need to take a moment. And if you say, hey, I want to pray with somebody, I'm going to be right down here at the front. We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you want to pray with somebody or you need prayer over something, or you say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior, I'll pray with you. I'll meet you right down here as we sing and we worship together. One last worship song. Would you pay attention to the screen as we sing? Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.